we are going to jump right in. We are in a series uh, called I'm a Work in Progress. Uh, this is week seven. We've talked all about um, joy and adversity, uh, how to face fear, trust in God, all kinds of ways that we know uh, we are works in progress, but we can move to be more and more like the image of Jesus as we follow him. Uh, so this week, uh, we have a chance to uh, dive into this concept of being peacemakers, uh, something that Jesus and uh, all of Scripture speaks to quite a bit. Um, but it's become kind of a tradition in this message series to start off the I'm a work in progress series with a confession uh, from whoever is up here. So for me, uh, I want to show a picture up here quickly. Uh, everyone knows what this is, right? It's a combine. Uh, my confession is that I did not know what a combine was until my first year of college at UNI, because I grew up in West Des Moines, city boy through and through, and uh, I got teased and picked on a lot for not knowing what this is, as well uh, I, I should be, because that's like a, like a chief Iowa sin that you don't know what this machine is. Um, even though I know, like, I get the concept now, I don't know how to combine works. Like, I, I don't know how to operate one. I know that it drives through the, through the field, uh, big corn go in, small corn come out, uh, and that something magical happens in the process. But you would be really unwise uh, to stick me behind the steering wheel. Does this have a steering wheel? Is there one in there? He looks like he's driving. I don't even know. I don't know how combines work. Stop laughing at me. Um... <laughs> So it'd be, very, it'd be very unwise to stick me um, in a combine and ask to operate it because I don't know how it works. And as I'm thinking about this message this morning, uh, it, there's kind of a uh, parable type thing. I, I, I heard it recently and I felt this uh, fit in well with what we're talking about is um, picture like an old-timey farming town. Like this, this townspeople who they go out and they, they farm by hand, they... they um, uh, plant seeds uh, and everything with just the, the tools of their hands. And then one day, uh, somebody uh, invents the tractor. Ooh. Somebody, uh, I, I think his name was John Deere, uh, invented the tractor. That could be right. I don't know. I have no idea who came up with that first. But um, it doesn't matter what his name was. That Someone invents the tractor and provides uh, this tractor for this uh, farming town to make their lives easier. They say, here's the, here's the owner's manual. Here's how you operate this thing. Uh, and this is going to make your lives uh, more efficient. You're going to be able to plant your seed a lot faster now. So the townspeople, very, very excited. They get up the first morning. They, about 20 of them go out to the field uh, to go operate this tractor. So what they start doing is they all line up behind it and someone shouts push and they push the tractor through the field. And it like, it like the, the, it drags and it plants the seed. I don't, I'm not a farmer. I don't know how that, all that works. But I know you're not supposed to push this tractor. Uh, until one day, uh, the, the uh, inventor comes back, sees uh, the travesty that is happening, and says, you know, this thing has like, uh, it's a whole thing. It has an engine inside of it. You turn the key. It like fires up. It drives forward for you. And they're like, great. Awesome. Um, love, we would have loved to have known how that worked before, and that's where the inventor goes, that's, that's what I give this owner's manual for. It says, it says it's all in there. This is how to operate the tractor. This is how to fix it when it's broken. It's all in there. So the reason that we, we say this story is because uh, it's common knowledge to all of us that somebody who makes that thing knows how it works, that uh, the maker knows how it works. And many of you are ahead of me on this, but like God is the creator of us and the world around us, and he knows how everything works. He knows what's going to happen. He's in control of it all. And 
like I'll preach, like God doesn't have opinions, right? Like God doesn't like have opinions. He doesn't like think things because he just knows. He just knows how it works. And he would be very gracious to us if he were to uh, tell us how it works and, and how we are best uh, suited to operate. Luckily for us, God is a gracious God and he provides us an owner's manual to be able to better understand him and how we work. And it's called the Bible. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so many of you were ahead of me on that. Um, but that's, that's such a helpful way for me to think about the Bible in knowing that, like, the, the creator of my soul, of everything around me, uh, breathed his wisdom into these 66 books and, and provided this for us to be able to read and to better understand how the world works. And even more so uh, than that, every once in a while, the Bible will put, like, an emphasis on something. In the same way that, like, if you have an owner's manual of a vehicle, um, you will have, like, caution warnings, different things like that. So like, for example, I, I brought a few here with me. Like this is a pretty obvious one. Don't light your match around this thing. It could catch on fire and your whole house is going to be uh, burning to the ground. You don't want to have flames around this thing. Okay, good to know. Good to know. So like another one here. Yeah, good to know. I will try my best not to do that. Um, and it gives a little visual aid to show you which end is the wrong end. So that's uh, super. Uh, this last one's my favorite, is, um, you know, warning labels are put there because somebody violated that rule at some point, right? Um, but I, I'd be fortunate to buy this Superman costume, bring it home, and read this. It's going to be a bummer for me. I mean, Halloween's going to be ruined. Um, but at least at this point, I'm not going to go jumping off of my, like, roof in this costume. And, and it's very gracious this has been provided. In the same way, we see in Scripture, uh, there are different instances where we see, like, a warning. Hey, Pay attention to this. This is key. And where we're going to be at in Scripture today, in James chapter 1, verse 19, uh, we see this happen, that the biblical author makes a special point to emphasize something. Uh, this is uh, starting off again in verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that take note of this for a, uh, for a book of the Bible that does not mince words, it's a pretty short book, uh, this is put there very, very intentionally because I think that what James, who wrote this book, um, knows is that we kind of stink at this. Like, who here is amazing at being quick to, you're always quick to listen, you're slow to speak, you're careful with your words, you never become angry. None of us do. Like, that, that's why I think the Bible emphasizes this and makes sure to draw attention to it. And that not only... That, but that this is very important as Christians that we live this way. Um, so, like for like another, another couple of uh, instances here of some of the silly things we like to argue about and be in conflict about, where we are not practicing these things, would be like if I were to say like hot dogs, for example. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and don't raise your hand. Just shout out the answer. So, is a hot dog a sandwich? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> a hot dog is not a sandwich at all. Look at it. It's sitting vertically. Um, fun fact, most of the 8 a.m. service uh, said no, actually. Um, so uh, they're, so they're, they're wrong. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? Ooh, I heard a bunch of quiet yeses and then one really emphatic no. What I want to say with this, I don't have a hard opinion here, but I like pineapple on pizza, personally. Um, if you don't, I'm not going to force you to eat pineapple on pizza. Like, you, but, like, don't, 
I'm vibing here. Don't let me interrupt. Don't, don't, don't interrupt my, oh, my joy here. Last thing um, is when it comes to s'mores, um, I am a very firm believer that the best way to make a s'more, you take the marshmallow, you stick it straight into the fire, and then you pull it out, it's on fire, one, two, three, you blow it out, and you have a s'more. And if, you, if you're somebody who likes to make your s'more golden brown, that is great. Power to you. I have already eaten three s'mores by the time you have one. And I loved it. So whatever. You be inefficient with your time. That is okay. Um, I get heated about this. Um, and so many of us enjoy arguing about trivial things like this. But also, at the same time, we know that so many of the things we do argue about and debate with uh, strangers on the internet, with loved ones in our home, are people that are—these are, are, are topics that are not so trivial, right? Like, the things that we're in conflict about are—sometimes, you know, politics is a really hot button because it affects so many people, and it is so incredibly divisive. Um, and so often we can be um, in conflict with people, either through that kind of disagreement, maybe there's somebody who you know— who has wronged you or slandered you in some way, uh, in a way that really deeply hurt you. Uh, or maybe you're not at peace with somebody else because that was something that you did, uh, either uh, purposely or uh, inadvertently. And we know that conflict so often uh, times is not with strangers, but in pe- with people that we see regularly. Like maybe it's with coworkers, maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's with um, a, a, a kid, maybe it's with a parent. Um, I know I see this uh, happening um, in uh, various workplaces I've been a part of in my family, and um, conflict is just everywhere. I think that's why this is so important. Um, For us in the room here, just to make sure we're on the same page, um, raise your hand if there is somebody in your life right now who you are not at peace with, or maybe they're not at peace with you. Yeah, so that's most people, and that's why I think this message is so, so crucial for for me to hear and for uh, all of us to be able to hear, is that um, as Christians, we are called to be peacemakers, that even though there is all this conflict going on and all this strife and and argument uh, and bickering, that uh, we are called as followers of Jesus to, um, to cut through that, right? We're, we're, we're called to be peacemakers, and that's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, uh, verse 19. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. So Jesus is saying, if you're, if you're someone who's going to be called uh, one of my children— it's endemic of your character that you're going to be known as a peacemaker. Not a peace faker, not a peace breaker. You're, you're going you're gonna to be a peacemaker. You're going to str- strive for whenever there is this conflict or confusion. We're going to bring peace and clarity to that. Another place where we see this happen is in one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Romans 12, verse 18. It says, If it is possible, as long as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. And that's so uncommon for us to hear in the world because um, so often, like, we see on Facebook, like, hey, if you disagree, unfriend me. Like, you know, or, um, or, or shoot, like, cut toxic people out of your life. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. But that's not what we see the Bible advocating for. We see the Bible saying we need to be striving to make peace with the people who don't want to be at peace with us if it is possible, as long as it depends on you, we're going to return to that concept to close out our time together. 
Um, but for now, I just want to kind of summarize this by saying uh, living at peace with others is best for ourselves. It's best for our representation of Jesus in this world. And it's best for our, our own personal relationship with God. Um, that being uh, at unease with, with our brothers and sisters, with those around us, is, is going to present an obstacle in our ability to have the best possible relationship with God that we can. We're going to revisit that point in particular as we close out the message as well. But uh, for now, I want to just sort of set up for us um, how we're going to be spending the next few minutes. Uh, again, we're going to be in James chapter 1, uh, verse 19, uh, through like the mid-20s there. Uh, we're also going to be bouncing over to uh, the book of Matthew in chapter 5. If you want to put your thumb there, uh, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivers as well. Um, but if you are somebody who takes notes, if you're following around uh, in your outline, we're kind of going to frame this in like three uh, parts, this idea of being quick to listen, number one, number two, slow to speak, and then number three, slow to understand. We're going to unpack how the Bible directs us uh, to be able to practically do these things. Because if we're able to do those things well, as James say, then that's, we're well on our way to being the peacemaker that God has created us to be. Sound good? Sweet. We're going to jump right in here. Uh, into James. Uh, for anybody who uh, is unfamiliar, it's okay. So James is uh, the half-brother of Jesus, and this letter that he wrote was to, like, the first Christians that um, years after the, the formation of the church that James wrote this letter and this, like, wisdom literature out to all believers in how to live the Christian life well. So this is so incredibly applicable to us today. We are going to jump right in with verse uh, 19 and go from there. So just to repeat here, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So getting to study this um, was incredibly convicting. The entire book of James is convicting. Um, but one of the first places I want to go to here in the word that James uses here, at, at the bottom of, of verse 21, it says, except the word planted in you, which can save you. That word for planted he use, uses there, uh, emphutas in, in the Greek, uh, it would mean to be implanted, or another way to translate that would be to be like engrafted, like this really graphic word of like something that is just so intricately woven into you so that we can grow and that we can heal. And um, uh, that is what the word is meant to do. It's meant to help us to grow and to heal us. And I think what is so important about noting that first is to say that before we are going to strive to be quick to listen, slow to, wait, no. Yeah, quick to listen. I mess that up so often. Sometimes we'll be like, quick to speak, slow to listen, which is the opposite. I want to make sure to make that very clear. Um, that if we're going to strive to be peacemakers and be quick to listen and slow to speak, that um, we need to start here. Like, we are not going to be able to do this on our own with, like, our own goodwill and charisma, that we have to start by being planted in the truth of God and allow that to speak into and change us from the inside out, to be implanted into us. Um, 
I can't summarize this in a way that is better than what James does, so I'm just going to read what he says uh, here starting in verse 22, just to hammer this point home. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. you got to do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives, that gives freedom excuse me, and continues in it, uh, not forgetting uh, what they have heard but doing it, uh, they will be blessed in what they do. So this is like our first line of defense that um, you, you would read like an owner's manual uh, not just to like know what to do after the fact, but if you, if you know that owner's manual inside and out, you're going to fix problems before um, they become problems. You're going to be able to uh, get ahead of whatever that is that prevents us from being a peacemaker uh, in this context. So that's just so important for us to know. Um, if we're striving to go and make peace, we need to, need to, need to be making room for God um, in the midst of that. So that's uh, important for us to state there, but we're going to jump right into kind of our big three uh, pillars. So let's start with this concept of being quick to listen. So we're going to go back to verse 21 here. We're still in James chapter 1. We haven't gone far. It says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And that word that I want to focus on next is that word humbly, to humbly accept um, can also be translated as in meekness. When I, when I read that, uh, in meekness and to be like submitting ourselves, not being prideful and puffing out our chest, but instead to kind of have this posture of surrender in meekness. Uh, when I see the word meek, uh, that immediately like pinged over to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, for anybody who's unfamiliar, um, you may have heard this in uh, pop culture, or this is something that's quoted of Jesus often. It says in Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So Jesus is advocating to us, saying, hey, like this humility, this meekness, and this submission will end up leading to ultimate victory. And the reason that that fascinated me so much was considering the crowd that Jesus is talking to at the time as he's giving uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Because in his time, uh, when Jesus was here doing ministry on this earth, uh, he was in uh, the region of uh, Jerusalem. He was in and around uh, Israel. And uh, these were a people that were actively oppressed by uh, the Roman Empire. This was an incredibly corrupt government that was intent on, on snuffing out and, uh, and oppressing those that uh, were underneath them. And so if you are um, a Jew at the time, if you are an Israelite, um, you know that this land was given to you by God, and now the Romans have like kind of taken that and usurped that for themselves. And that makes you really, really angry. So what you saw happening a lot at the time was that you had, you had the, the Jewish communities uh, kind of like taking up arms and rising up in these like kind of militant movements to take back the government because that's what God wants. God know, like they're saying this land belongs to us. Um, and even more than that, uh, they would interpret the Old Testament as saying that like when the Messiah comes back, 
uh, and bring salvation, that we think that salvation is going to be like military victory, right? Like to have this like political power and to come in and have these like massive armies. And that's just how the uh, prophecy was like widely interpreted at the time was that the Messiah is going to come through like guns blazing um, and be able to take back the land and it was going to be awesome. It was going to be so cool. But then here's the Messiah standing in front of us saying, blessed are the meek for they will take back the land, for they will inherit the earth. And that is so counter to, to how they thought that they ought to operate. And that, if we're being honest, that's, that's counter to how we uh, as Christians think we ought to operate in the way we deal with other people as well. That we think that we need to puff out our chest and we need to uh, speak boldly in truth and to shout louder than the other person and be able to win these arguments and resolve these conflicts by just... Um, just bullying our way through it, right? But that is not what we see happening here. We know that we are to be uh, first, quick to listen, and quick to meekness in response to um, conflict. And that is our first kind of point underneath of this quick to listen, is we are to be quick to meekness, not quick to be fighters. We, we fight our battles a different way. Um, and here's a couple like more practical ways that we see that happening in Scripture. So if we're saying quick to meekness, here's like, how we can actually live that out. Uh, the first thing I'll say here with this is we're going to be quick to see the good. We're going to be quick to see the good in, in those that we're in conflict with. We know that like, we're all inherently messed up, right? Like, we, we all have sin. We all uh, screw up. And we probably know we're not like, always right all the time, right? And we should, we should know that about ourselves. We should know that about other people. However, um, when we read through the New Testament and we see these things come up, um, here, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a few. We're not going to uh, go there, but if you wanted to write these down and reflect on these passages later on, I think this is incredibly helpful uh, for us to note. So one place to go in Scripture would be Romans 2, verse 15. And what that verse is saying is that God has implanted in us uh, this, like, conscience uh, and this, like, heart that, like, deep, 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 deep down does know the law of God, um, and that uh, there is that kind of uh, inherent conscious in, in, inside of us, so that, like, we all kind of, like, we, we didn't have to, like, sit down and agree on, like, what it means to be, like, at its core, like, a good person. Like, you shouldn't kill people is typically what people uh, will agree on, um, et cetera. I don't need to probably go into more detail on that. But that's what this verse is advocating for. We also see Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 12, uh, emphasizing that people are not our enemy, that the person standing across from me is not um, the person I should be fighting, that there are dark forces of the world because there is uh, heavenly good, there's also dark, dark evil, and that, that is the thing that is corrupting uh, everything and everyone that we see, and that people are not our enemy, and that frames our mindset. And the last place I, I at least look to um, for encouragement here is in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, which says, uh, it's a very, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is a very popular passage that's used a lot in weddings. It talks a lot about love. And this verse in particular tells us that, that if we are Christians and we are to be taking on love, we're going to be believing the best and to be hoping the best. We're going to believe all things and hope all things. So uh, that would be like a like, um, benefit of the doubt, 
right? That, that would be like a, we're going to uh, assume the best of your intention as we're in conflict here. If we're in disagreement, I'm not going to, like, for, I'm not going to tell you, like, what you value, right? Like, I'm not going to say, hey, you believe that because... Uh, you want to see people suffer in this country, or you believe that because you want to infringe upon my rights. Like, even if that person is wrong and dumb in whatever argument that is, we still need to recognize that um, only, like, cartoon characters are, like, evil because I'm just evil. Like, everyone, everyone believes in, in something good at the core of what uh, they believe that's been put on their hearts by God because we're all creations of God. So in an attempt to be peacemakers with one another, what we need to mine for and be able to look for is what is that thing we have in common here? Like so often a disagreement is because we want the same thing. We just have two different ways we want to do it, right? And that uh, to be able to be a peacemaker is to seek after, hey, I don't agree with you, but I recognize that this is kind of the end goal and what you're trying to do here. Um, even if we don't agree, that then opens the door to if they see that you don't think that they're just, just a absolute crazy person, if you're able to recognize like, okay, like I see where you're coming from, that's going to that's gonna end up opening up this dialogue, right? And that's what we see advocated for so often in the scripture that we profess. Um, so that would be the point there of like, hey, like don't tell people what they value. Don't impress that on them. Ask them what they value. Ask them why. Ask good questions. Because uh, that's what we see happen here. One other place I want to go in the scripture under this point of being quick to listen is in uh, Matthew. Uh, this is chapter 7 now. So this is still in the Sermon of the Mount where we've been before. It's just jumping down a little bit later. And these words from Jesus are so uh, incredibly important for us as peacemakers. This is where he says this, starting in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from brother's eye. So what Jesus is advocating for here is that as peacemakers and as children of God, we're going to be quick to own our part of any conflict. We're going to be the first one to eat some crow and fess up and say, okay, like, I, I see where you're coming from. Will you forgive me for this thing? Even if it's like 2% of the conflict, that we're still going to be looking uh, for whatever is in our own eye before we're going to go and, and uh, lambast the other person. That is so, obviously, that's so hard to do. That's so much easier said than done. But that's what we see happening here is that um, we're going to, in meekness, approach any conflict by saying, hey, I can own this part. I can see where, even though you did A, B, C, D, E, like, you're upset that you think I did this or that I did do this, and I'm going to own this, and would you forgive me for this? This is, this is just how uh, we are prescribed to be able to approach conflict uh, with our brothers and sisters. That, that is uh, what we see happening here. Conflict is a two-way street. So uh, with that all being said, if we're asking good questions and we're being quick to listen, now we can move on to this second tenet that we're presented with here in James, slow to speak, that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, anybody else with me where you have like that like memory you cringe at where you put your foot in your mouth and you said something really hastily that really made the situation worse? Like has anybody ever like, 
approach the situation by saying like, hey, no offense, but, and then said something, said something really dumb. Because um, that's always what comes after that expression is no offense, but, or maybe like you're in line, like at like a, uh, or maybe you're in customer service, you know, somebody's like freaking out at you and you decide to try to defuse the situation and you say, hey man, relax. How often does that work out? Married couples, does that work? No, probably doesn't. Um, but uh, this instance of, of being like quick to speak and quick to just blurt out whatever you want to say is against what we see advocated for in the scripture here. Um, we're not going to sit in this, but um, if you would, I think it would be great for any of us uh, later this afternoon or later this week to sit and reflect on uh, James chapter 3. Again, we're not going to turn and look at this today, but I will just go ahead and say that um, in James 3, uh, we see a really beautiful uh, and really convicting picture of like the tongue and like how this is uh, something that we've been given by God that can do great good, but also do really, really destructive things. It can be like... Uh, um, like, like how, a, how a small little rudder turns an entire boat and how if a bit is in the mouth of a horse, it turns the entire horse. He's, he's saying this is very, very important that we use our tongue very, very wisely and with lots of intentionality. That's a really cool passage to reflect on for us, but a much shorter passage I want to uh, reflect on here this morning as we're talking about being slow to speak is coming from Proverbs uh, chapter 17. Uh, in verses 27 to 28, I, uh, I love this. It says this, uh, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So to put that in a more modern take, uh, it's better for people to think you're an idiot than to open your mouth and confirm their suspicions. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this room is an idiot. I want to I be very clear. But uh, it's very wise and discerning to be able to hold back and give room to what we're about to say. Um, but it's not because, like, we want for people to think we're smart, right? Like, we don't want people to like us, so therefore we don't talk. That's not—that wouldn't be good. That'd be prideful and just—it's uh, just bad. It just is. So instead, why is the Bible advocating that we be slow to speak and wise with our words? It's not because people will view us in a better light, but because they will view the God that we serve in a better light, and it will benefit those around us. It will benefit the people who are listening. And this is, uh, I think, really well summed up, uh, again, in another spot in Scripture, in uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, verse 29. Again, this is one of uh, my favorite passages in Scripture, not because I'm great at it, but because this is incredibly convicting and important to know. Uh, it says this, uh, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Like, you guys, what if Christians were known by every single thing that they say is somehow good for building me up or for benefiting me in some way. Like, I leave talking to that person uh, always just uh, feeling, feeling loved and seen and respected. So uh, that is what the, the Scripture is challenging for us to do and to work our way into. And that's what brings me to a big claim that I want to make. Um, hear me out on this. Is that as Christians— we do not have freedom of speech, 
or at least we're not meant to have an absolute freedom of speech and say whatever the heck we want to say. Um, yeah, yeah, yes, like that's a right that we are given in this country, and we are so grateful for that. However, because we serve a God who has died for us and bought our lives at a price so that we can live in eternal paradise with him, we are called to represent him in the best way possible uh, using the, the breath and the tongue that we've been given. So like an example of this, again, would be like just came back from uh, this high school trip over in Nebraska where you better believe that one of the things we try to make sure that we hold each other accountable to is, hey, when we come rolling off this van, um, you are representing Central Church. You can't just go out and just start cussing out uh, someone from another church or start to uh, act like an idiot and start uh, spewing this nonsense because we are representing something that is bigger than us. For us in this situation, it's Central Church, but we're also representing Jesus in anything that we do. They, if people see you as a Christian, which we shouldn't be shy about, we need to be doing everything that we can to make sure that even when we're speaking truth, it's laced in love and with the motivation of building up those around us. So this would look like, again, just slowing down. Just when we're in a heated conversation, we need to take a breath, we need to slow down, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be able to have room in our lives to be able to inform uh, a wise response to whatever is being said. We, we need to be able to give that room, which doesn't happen if we're not rooted in the Word, going back to where we started. Um, but then again, we speak with the motive of not to win the argument and not to be right, but we speak the motive of being as helpful to other people as possible to build them up and to benefit them in love, which is how Jesus acted when he was on earth. We're called to do that. Um, and because our lives are bought with a price, uh, brace yourselves, this rhymes, which means it's more true than if it didn't rhyme. Uh, when we know who's paying, we're mindful of what we're saying. When we know that... Uh, our debt has been paid, that our sins are forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us, that means that this grace flows out from us and into the other people that we interact with. We're going to come back to that here in just a moment, but this means being so incredibly mindful of how whatever we say affects the witness of Jesus Christ that we have to the watching world, whether that's what we say or whether that's what we post on social media. You know who you are? I probably stopped following you on social media a long time ago. Um, but uh, incredibly convicting for all of us to uh, be able to know that. So being slow to speak, and lastly, being slow to become angry. We're going to revisit James chapter 1. We're going to go back to the, kind of the front, uh, going back to uh, verse 19 here, where he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So one last time, we're going to look at uh, a word in the Greek and see what it actually uh, deeply, intricately means. That word anger, it comes from a, a word orge, uh, which does one-for-one one translate to anger, which is really, that's easy. Good. Moving on. No. Um, it translates to anger, movement or agitation of the soul, impulse or desire or any violent emotion, but especially anger. So when I read impulse or desire as we're, we're delving into um, the etymology of this word, that was really interesting because if this word is like going to mean like an impulse to do something or a desire, none of us really 
desire to be mad, right? Like, that's not a pleasant feeling. None of us enjoy being mad. It's just this uh, kind of involuntary response we have uh, to different stimulus. And uh, delving more into kind of this concept, it's not so much that we're desiring to be mad, but it's more like something is getting in the way of the thing that we do desire. That we had like expectations of how a situation ought to go or how somebody we're interacting with ought to behave, and that expectation is not met, and now we're ticked um, because things are outside of our control. See, when we get angry, uh, it's because we're desiring this control that we just don't have. And the way I want to prove it is that, everyone knows what this is, right? Xbox remote, uh, they all look uh, pretty much the same. Anybody seen one of these fly through the air? Anybody seen this lodged in your TV screen at home? Anybody seen this shattered and smashed to pieces on the ground? What I'm trying to say is that uh, the, some of the most angry human beings I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, <laughs> and I've seen this happen in youth ministry plenty of times, is when you're playing Call of Duty, and some, somebody's camping out, and they, and they snipe you, and, and that's, ooh, and, and whatever happens in this game, and, and you end up losing, you get angry. And it's this, it's this visceral reaction to it. But what I do notice is that um, oftentimes when you're playing video games, you'll have other people kind of watching you, um, or like if there's any spectators around here. Those spectators are not getting angry. Like, they're not blurting out cuss words. They're not the ones who are getting heated. It's the one who is in control who is the one who is having this insane, angry response. And as our way of combating that uh, is is our uh, stance of humility before God. Because we know that um, ultimately, even though we all want to be in control, we know who's in control. We know that God is in control of everything that we experience around us. And that as a result, uh, if we are to be humble before God and giving up that control, that we're going to loosen our grip and, and be able to reframe our focus. Uh, it stands to reason that the more that we give up our control and recognize God's sovereignty, uh, the less we're going to have this anger response. So one of the points I wanted uh, to drive home here is we are slow to anger when we loosen our grip, when we recognize I can't control what that person says. I can't control the situation. And therefore, because I know God's in control, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be able to, to loosen my grip on this and be able to more easily, operative word, more easily accept what is happening. Um, and then that ends up flowing out towards other people. That, like, to be humble before God is to be patient towards people. So like uh, just uh, the other week while I was in Lincoln, I was walking across the University of Nebraska campus. I had this run-in where I had this like intense biblical disagreement with this guy who like jumped me and is like, hey, do you know? And then like insert this crazy thing that he said about Jesus. And like we started having this conversation. Um, We're not going to get in, we're not going to unpack what this dude said. Um, But I, I ended up like turning and like walking away from this conversation like angry because whatever he had said completely discredited the, the, the same Jesus that has saved my life and has offered his life for the sins of many. And that as I'm walking away from that, I recognize like why am I so, why I'm so angry about this is because I had this like, how dare this guy not know that truth? And somehow like that means that I've done something 
to, ha- to know that truth for myself. Um, in, in the same way, if we're having a disagreement with somebody on the basis of faith, which we, have, we should be, uh, have a lot of emotional stake in that, because Jesus Christ is somebody who's bought uh, our, our life, and we're going to spend eternity with him. We want people to know about that. But if we don't have this humility of understanding that the only reason we know this is because God has been gracious to us, now all of a sudden, we can be more gracious with those around us for maybe not knowing this truth that we hold so tightly. And that can be the result of so much conflict that we have. Uh, to sum it up more easily, we're quick to make peace with others when we know that God has made peace with us. That God loved us first. And as a result of how gracious he's been with us, wiping our sins clean, that now all of a sudden we can look at other people with grace as well. Knowing, hey, like I think they're pretty screwed up, but I'm pretty screwed up too. And God loves me anyway. And that's what he's called me to do is to love other people and be gentle and gracious with them as a result. So just to summarize kind of what we talked about here, um, the first thing, uh, we just have to be planted in the word. We have to be in the Bible daily and internalizing this. We just have to. This, this thing turfs out immediately if we don't. That's just the way it is. Uh, we have to be quick to meekness towards other people and humility. As Christians, we need to be intentional with our words and how we use them. And, and we need to be humble before God in order to be patient towards other people. Uh, I want to close up our time here by just returning to a couple of scriptures that we've read and we started off our time with, as promised. Uh, the first one was from Romans 12, verse 18, that says, If it is possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this other piece of scripture that we haven't quite delved into yet, Matthew 5, again, this is still in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is still speaking here uh, in verses 23 to 24. He says something that is, I think, really, really sobering for us, especially as those of us who are sitting in church right now. Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, basically, if you're, if you're going to worship uh, God— and, and there at the altar, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So this is where we're faced with, with the hard part, right? Is that what God is saying is that if we are not at peace with others in our life, or others are not at peace with us as long as it's up to us, that God would rather we not be here. God wants for us to go and make peace with other people in our lives by any means necessary because that's what he did for us. We were running after God as fast as we could. That everyone through the Old Testament and Scripture was doing everything they could and so are we to be enemies with God. And he had every right to absolutely shun us and turn his face away from us. But that's not what he did. He said it's still possible. So he sent Jesus Christ here to this earth to die for our sins so that we could have peace in a relationship with God. Not because of what we did, and not because we're great at doing these things in the Bible, but just because that's how much he loves us. And if God's saying that it is possible for us to be at peace, how could we ever say it's impossible for us to be at peace with anybody else in our lives? How could we ever think that God can't, can't reconcile a relationship together? as long as it's up to us, that we're to make every single effort to try and try and try and try and try again uh, because we know that God loves that person just as much as he loves us. 
And he, he wants for us to be able to celebrate this reconciliation in heaven forever. And I know that's really easy to say. Um, and I don't, I don't like telling that to myself because I'm, I'm not at peace with everybody in my life and there are people who are not at peace with me. Um, and it, it, sometimes it can be easy to minimize that, but we know that we're, we're, we're called to then approach these people either to seek forgiveness or to tell them that we forgive them. So that's why I want to create space for us to do this because this is so urgent for us to do. Um, I'm just going to ask us a few questions here. Is um, Who is that person? Be specific in your head. Write it down. Tell somebody else whatever you need to do. Who is it that you're not at peace with in your life? Um, and what... And, through the power of prayer and by the grace of God, how are we going to go about trying to make peace with that person today, this week, as soon as we step out of the worship center, whatever that looks like? Um, when will you do it? How will you initiate it? And perhaps most importantly, how are you going to be praying towards the situation? And how are we going to ask others to pray for the situation as well? How are we going to allow that power to creep into our lives and transform our heart and the hearts of those around us? Because God is the God who can change hearts.